Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll read verses 8 through 13 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Father, we come before your throne knowing that today, this this time we gather uh, is to your good pleasure. Father, we draw together as brothers and sisters united in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we draw together overwhelmed by your presence, overwhelmed by your being and your power. And yet, Lord, you come and you show us this magnificent text that should be the ruling factor for a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, we come today, we will celebrate a meal together, a meal of gratitude, a meal that says 2,000 years ago, we now stand grateful, redeemed, rejoicing in the unity of your spirit, the power of your word, the purpose of your church, and the person of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for drawing us. Father, thank you for saving us. Father, thank you for so many privileges and blessings beyond our expectations. Father, we bow before you that our hearts may be molded by the potter, Father, may we, with joy and expectation, be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our friend. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 8, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy... They will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, But then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now, faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. How important is love? Well, he says the greatest of these is love. Okay? I can give you a whole bunch of other texts, but one that I kind of stumbled onto and I want to share with you has to do with some sheep and goats. comes out of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 and it'll pick it up at verse 33. Verse 33 says, and he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. And basically what he's doing is this is Jesus Christ separating the sheep from the goats. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is the final judgment. And he says, and then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. All right, so you see what he's doing, right? Jesus Christ is giving the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to some special individuals. He's granting them the kingdom. Okay, and on what basis does Jesus Christ Grant that kingdom. Okay? Verse 35. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Interesting text, don't you think? I think it's a fascinating text. Very interesting text. Jesus Christ determines who enters into the kingdom of God based on their deeds of love. Oh, dude, ain't that salvation by works? No. It's the book of James realized. The fact of what James says is that true salvation is visible. You see it. See, it's, it's funny. I can spend a very short time with a person and tell you what their faith is in. Just by what they talk, what they concern, what their focus is. See, it's easy to see what the pattern of somebody's life is. And what Jesus is saying here, those who are saved, because they are saved, the love of God has been poured into their heart by the Spirit of God. Their deeds are seen in actions of love. Therefore, they will not go with the goats. They get to go with the sheep. It's visible. Faith is visible. If you take the Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 text, the one that we like to smash the Arminiast with, who been chosen by the foreknowledge of God, and we stand right there, finish the text. So you will walk in these good deeds that God has predetermined. It is seen, it is visible. That's what he's saying. Okay, love is visible. This, this, this is seen. How important is it? Well, Jesus will judge the sheep from the goats based on the deeds of love. And he says, to the extent that you do it to the least of mine, you have done it to me. Oh, I just thought that was a fascinating text. It's important. We're looking at verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13, because they see that the gifts are temporary. I see people today, even in this fellowship, who are concerned about their gifts. What is my gift? What am I supposed to be doing? And, and I've already shared with you that your gift is not for you. Your gift is for us. And if you withhold your gift from us, then how much do you love us? It's an interesting concept. He uses a contrast here. He says, love never fails. And what I mean by that means it's eternal. It's a time element. It's not that it doesn't get defeated. 
It never fails. You're never going to get rid of it. And then he contrasts it. says there's a, there's a gift of prophecy, there's a gift of languages or tongues, and then there's the gift of knowledge. And he says, these will all pass away, but love will always be there. It will always be there. There are three speaking gifts that he is using to contrast against it because the speaking gifts, even in our society today, we believe that those are the important gifts, don't we? Most people think that the teacher has the single most important responsibility in the church. Now listen, there is a teacher will be judged harsher. I don't want to downplay that whatsoever. But if you think that a speaking gift is the most important in the church, you're sadly mistaken. It is a gift that has a snare to it, has a danger to it. You got to ask yourself, Peter defines spiritual gifts into two, speaking and serving. Which one do you think there would be the most of? Well, in America, it's speaking. (laughs) Everywhere else on the planet, it's serving. (laughs) It's serving. Some of my greatest times of learning were from people with gifts of serving, watching them serve. I think about Hank Smith. Years and years and years and years and years and years and years. years. Never out front. Never out front. And you, he didn't even want to be out front. Had no desire to be out front. Him or his wife. And yet, always there. Always faithful. Always apart. And you know what? He was like having a concordance in a Bible study. You could bring up a verse and he'd give you another one. And he just comes through like this. But he'll tell you he's not a gifted teacher. But he was a servant. And everything he does is based on a servant. And and this man is amazing. And I learned more from that man than than he will ever know. Than he will ever know. Because he was a servant. He never brought attention to himself. In this text in verse 8, we have three nouns. Prophecy, knowledge, and languages. And we only have two verbs. We've looked at this. We've looked at the syntax of the verb, meaning that one was passive, one was active, one was middle voice. And, and, and I started giving you reasons. Okay, and, and what I showed you is, um, katageo is a force will stop it from happening. And then pao, it means that it will cease on its own. Okay, pao is lined up with the noun um, languages. It's, it's literally where we get glossary from. Okay, uh, glossoletto. Okay, uh, and it, it has to do with the language. It's a language. It's not some babble. All right, <clears throat> it will cease on its own. And last week I was in the process of giving you six reasons that I believe that languages, the miraculous gift of languages, has ceased. Okay, I believe it's a miraculous gift. Here's the reason I believe it's a miraculous gift. To be able to just suddenly pick up a gift or a different language and speak it is miraculous. Okay, uh, you know, they asked me, do I listen to Russian like CDs or do I have a Russian computer program that I listen to in between my trips to Russia? And I tell them, yes, I have several different CDs that I listen to that are Russian and, 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 I, and I listen to trying to immerse myself in the language. And they said, well, does that help? And I said, no, <laughs> it doesn't help at all, but it's fun. You know, I've got a CD in there right now. It's called Pasiba, uh, which means thank you. And it's a contemporary Christian rock and roll. Uh, and it's really wonderful because it's all in Russian. 
And I thought, well, this would be great. I can listen to this Christian rock and roll and hear their phrases and all the rest of it. And I open it up. You know how you have the little words in the CD case? They're in Russian too. So this is of no value to me whatsoever. So someone will get a CD for Christmas. <laughs> and they'll think, oh, this is great. And I said, no, you know, here, wait till you read it. All right. Um, it's a gift. It's a miraculous gift. But if you're truly honest with Scripture, 66 books, there's only three ages of miracles where God intervenes through human agents to do miracles. One is Moses to Joshua. One is Elijah to Elisha. And the other one was Christ and the apostles. Each stretch of time is about 70 years. And in between those stretches of time is anywhere between 500 and 1,000 years. So to see God intervening supernaturally into the natural order of things on a regular basis is not real. It doesn't happen. He doesn't do it that way. Why? It's something about faith. Anyway, okay. Um, the other thing that, that, that I, I want us to think about is that the last recorded miracle in the New Testament happened in 58 A.D. Okay, the book of Revelations was concluded roughly in 96 A.D. All right. Tongues is only mentioned in the oldest book of the New Testament. First Corinthians. Okay? The other thing is, the second reason that I believe that tongues has ceased, languages has ceased, is what is the gift for? Well, that's easy. He tells me that very emphatically in verse 21 of chapter 14. It was in the law that is written by the... By men of strange tongues, and even by lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He quotes Isaiah. What is it? It's basically judgment. Isaiah was speaking that the Assyrian captivity was coming, and it would be by these lips that you would, by strangers, foreigners in a different language than yours, and they will judge you. Okay? For all intents and purposes... Judaism ceased in 70 AD. Now, I know that they'll tell you that they got synagogues here and there's synagogues here and we do this and we have, Jew, we have Orthodox Judaism today and we have conservative Judaism. Judaism ceased at the destruction of the temple. There has not been a sacrifice based on the Levitical priesthood since 70 AD. I'm thinking that's judgment. What do you think? All right. 1.1 million Jews died. I'm thinking of judgment. All right, so if, if it is a sign of judgment, then it will last till when? Judgment is fulfilled. I would argue that the judgment was fulfilled in 70 AD. Third thing, tongues are inferior to prophecy. All right. Um, both gifts had an edification process to it, but the truth of the matter is, first importance also received. From, <clears throat> excuse me, wrong text. Chapter fourteen. Pursue love, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Chapter fourteen, verse one. But especially that you may what? Prophesy. All right. See, tongues' primary function was not to edify. Though, if you had someone the gift of interpretation, that gift could still edify, couldn't it? All right. So the primary focus of the gift of tongues was for judgment. And yet another gift was needed to have it edifying of the saints. 
Once judgment of Israel was done, what was the need of the gift of tongues? So the gifts are given to the individual Christians because we are to strengthen one another, build one another up. That's what edify means. I want to edify you. So how do I edify you? Using my gift. All right? If you have a person who has the gift of languages, they have to have another person with the gift of interpretations or it is no benefit to the believer. Chapter 14, the whole chapter deals with the superiority of prophecy over the gift of tongues. I mean, that's what the whole chapter is. So there's no need. I don't have no need for the gift. Okay, fourth reason. This is where we'll pick it up today. Speaking of tongues is useless at the completion of the New Testament. I don't need it no more. Okay, why? Um, When a person spoke in tongues, uh, they were receiving direct revelation from God. But they had to have a person to interpret it. But it was still direct revelation from God. God was revealing um, what theologians call the church age. Um, it depended on your understanding and, and what your take is on the 69th and 70th week of Daniel. Uh, some believe that there's a gap between the 69th and 70th, and that's the church age, and that's that quiet time. The New Testament fulfills that time. I don't know. Okay? When a person spoke in tongues, they're receiving revelation from God. And it was direct revelation. i got to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a very pointed question. Has direct revelation stopped? Absolutely. If not, go back to the study of First and Second Timothy and Titus and see how emphatic Paul was of guarding the truth given once for all. And I mean, he is yee, yee. And I mean, if you go back to the original language, he's kind of cranky about it. There is no more to Scripture. Not only that, John concluded the canonization of Scripture with Revelation, and the last page of his letter says, anybody who adds to or takes away from this book, may the plagues of this one be added to them. Yeah, but there ought to be enough saying. There, there is, there's no more to it. There's no more to be added to it. So when you look at the revelatory side of tongues, do I need it? No. It ceased to have any meaning. See, prof- well, but what about prophecy and knowledge? That means they're gone too because they were revelatory. They were at the time of the writing of the New Testament. Weren't they? Yes, absolutely. You had men overwhelmed by the Spirit of God speaking for something new. Something new. But let me ask you a question. Is there still use for knowledge and prophecy? Absolutely. Yes. Why? Because to prophesy, to speak before, has the ability to what? Edify. See, this is where we're getting kind of... Crooked. We want spiritual gifts. The Bible says there, desire earnestly these things. Get after it. We do. 
But why do we want them? Okay? That's the key. Why do people seek whatever gift they're seeking? You know, I remember preaching before Dr. Olford, and uh, I got done preaching. I went and sat down, and he walks up there, and you know him, he walks up there and he goes like that. He says, The man has the gift of prophecy and exhortation. And I just, it's just like, you could have ripped my heart out. I was just, I just sunk to the floor. Of all the gifts, I don't want either one of those. I don't. Why? What was John the Baptist doing? Okay, do we know how that ended? <laughs> okay, look on the silver platter. <laughs> Looks like Terry's head. <laughs> okay, they're not good. I, I mean, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> do over. <laughs> Let me try a different message. Maybe I just give you the wrong message and you think it's exhortation and prophecy. All right? Why? Because the gift of knowledge can do what with you? Edify you. Okay, if I speak to you in Romanian right now, is that going to help you? <laughs> Some of you are saying, I thought you were. <laughs> Sounded Romanian to me. Okay, see, so, yes, in the beginning of the New Testament, it was revelatory. It was primary to edify. God giving revelation. But is it complete? Well, according to the writer of Hebrews, it is. He wrote uh, late 60s, and he said this. After God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he is made the world what does that mean it's done last days when now i mean if you're really honest with scripture when the last days start virgin birth virgin birth these last days word of son he doesn't say he shall speak in a little way in a little longer Sooner, he'll come back. He'll say something else. He shall speak in the church. That's not what it says. He's already spoken. Last days, the son will speak, has spoken. And it's spoken. You know what that means, right? That's past tense. That means he ain't sitting up there jibber-jabbering. All right? So when I look at this, I I sit and I say, the revelatory source uh, is not necessary. When I prophesy or I share the gift of knowledge, um, if I ever find it, if if I ever get a hold of the gift of wisdom, all I'm going to do is give you Scripture. When I prophesy, what am I giving you? Scripture. Why? Jesus' high priest in prayer, John 17, says, Make them holy, Lord. How? Sanctify them, Lord. How? Your word is truth. Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. Okay? And I, and I, I see all these people running around saying, Well, the Lord is given to me, or the Lord has said to me. You know what? He gives to me, and He talks to me daily. Did you know that? It just happened to be written down. I don't hear voices. And let's count that as a blessing. 
So these last days. Fifth reason. Um, I believe that it ceased, and the reason is that it's only mentioned in the earliest books. The two earliest books that we have are First and Second Thessalonians. Does anybody know how many times tongues is mentioned in First and Second Thessalonians? Zero zip nada. Actually, spiritual gifts are not mentioned in First and Second Thessalonians. And if you read First and Second Thessalonians, then you see what a church is supposed to be like, and you see that he's not really. You guys got it. <laughs> no. Okay. But this is fascinating to me because 1 Corinthians is the only letter where tongues is, appears. Twelve other letters that the Apostle Paul writes, he never mentions tongues. He'll mention prophecy, knowledge, never tongues. Peter never mentions it, ever. James never mentions tongues. John doesn't mention tongues. Jude doesn't mention tongues. The only time that it is mentioned is in the book of 1 Corinthians, about 58 AD. Why is there no mention of it? And and I see people who think that it's sort of a mystical thing that God would give this private revelation of himself to an individual. Okay, here's the problem with that. It's not true. There is no private revelation. Listen, if God, when God revealed himself into a person, what was the person's response? And went and told everybody to get a hold of. And they couldn't get him to shut up, and they wouldn't even get off track. You couldn't make them shut up. You can throw them in a pit. You could cut them in half. You could kill them. You could do this. You could send them out of the country, and they still would not shut up. But there was never, God never gave a private revelation. He gave something to a person that he'd already set aside, and he was to take it and proclaim it publicly until death do him leave. God gave his word at different positions in the history of mankind. He authenticated it through different men, but it was canonized as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Titus says, listen, if it's been once delivered, why would we want to reopen it? Again, revelation has stopped. I don't need it. Tongues had that revelatory side to it. And like I said, after 1 Corinthians, if you go through your book, your New Testament, and chronologically, who, what was written first, it's only mentioned in 1 Corinthians. And that's an early New Testament book. Um... Tongues was a sign. I agree. Absolutely. Tongues was revelatory. Absolutely. I agree. Tongues even had a little side order of edifying to it. But he says, if you ain't got somebody interpreting, be quiet. Don't say nothing. 
It has ceased. It has ceased. Okay. Then the sixth reason, if I go back to the syntax and I look at Paul, okay, um, tongues will cease um, when, okay, um, has it ever ceased? Okay, the word pao has finality to it, meaning that when it stops, we're, we're talking done. History, fui, done. It's all done. Okay? It had its purpose. God used it. When it fulfilled its purpose, it ceased. Okay, now I say that tongues ceased in 70 A.D., Judgment was fulfilled against Israel. Israel, there was a partial hardening, Paul told the Romans. Partial hardening. I'm just going to set you aside. I'm going to deal with the Gentiles. There's going to be Jews in the church through the whole church age. Absolutely, absolutely. But if you're truly honest with the book of Revelation, it is dealing with the reinstatement of Israel. I mean, don't get me wrong. The rest of the globe is going to take a whooping. But it's basically to get Israel, oh yeah, I am Messiah. Okay, and you know, when he comes out of the sky and all and the stars and it's all dark and all the rest of that, it's hard to argue. I say that it ended in 70 AD. I cannot find biblically any miraculous gift after 58 AD. <clears throat> so when did it start? Okay, <clears throat> remember this date, 1901. Okay, from 58 AD... 58 A.D. till 1901, there is absolutely no record of the gift of tongues in the evangelical church of Jesus Christ. No record. Now, I've got some stuff here historical on there. So, listen, in chapter... 13 verse 8, it doesn't say that it will start up and then stop and then it will start up and then it will stop and it will start up and it will stop of itself. It says it will cease. It's final. It is done. Its purpose is over. So I went back through the church history. I went back to the church fathers. Um, here's the amazing thing. First generation out of the apostles. All right, first generation out of the apostle. They never mention, nor do you find any writing on the gift of tongues in first generation out of the church. Clement of Rome, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians, 95 AD, to the Corinthians. And he discussed all kinds of spiritual problems and topics. And you know what's amazing? Tongues is not mentioned. Tongues is not mentioned. Less than 40 years after the Apostle Paul deals with it. It's as if the true had ceased and the abuse had ceased. It was a non-issue for Clement of Rome by 95 AD. The gift of tongues. Justin Martyr. He served in the body of Christ while he was alive. 100 AD to 165 AD. He traveled all over the church. Okay, he wrote all kinds of things defending Christianity. Never mentions tongues ever. And it's amazing, he has four different lists of spiritual gifts. Tongues is never in any of the lists. 
Okay, Origen, one of the church fathers, from 185 to 253. Um, he, man, he's a scholar. He's got. He's, I've read some things of his. I still don't know what it was. Um, but he has volumes and volumes of commentaries on the church and the letters of the uh, of the apostles and all the rest of. He never ever mentions it. Here's what his statement says on miraculous gifts. Quote. Now you got to understand 185 to 253. So the statement is kind of odd. No contemporary Christian. Okay. Um, exercises any of the ancient gifts. Unquote. And contemporary Christians. 185 to 253. That's contemporary. Okay. Okay. Uh, Christian, who was around 347 to 407, wrote a commentary on 1 Corinthians. Um, and here's what his statement on this section in his commentary says. Quote, this whole place is very obscure, but the obscurity is produced by our ignorance of the facts. Reference to and by their secession... To bring such as these to you no longer takes place, unquote. Um, he basically says, um, I'm not even going to teach on this because it is irrelevant to us. I don't even know what it is. And I'll be honest with you, if I was, if we were here 105 years ago, I don't have any problem teaching this text and I do not have to belabor this text. It is non-existent entity. They had, the early church fathers by the third century had a trouble defining them. They didn't even understand what they were. Augustine, 354 to 430. His commentary on Acts chapter 2 verse 4, quote, In the earliest times the Holy Spirit fell on them that believed and they spoke with tongues. These were signs adapted to that time for their for them to behoove to be that by taking of the Holy Spirit. Augustine, you, what? Behoove? That's what, it, that's what I wrote. Behoove to be betaking of the Holy Spirit. Why? I needed to prove to you you were taking the Holy Spirit. Greatest theologians of the ancient church considered it ceased by the 4th or 5th century. You don't see it. It is not in the church. And they didn't even understand what it was anymore. Okay. But I have some footnotes to this. During this time, there were two people who claimed to have the gift of tongues. First person, Mortinus, was a pagan priest who had been converted... And he used to run around with a whole bunch of female priestesses who had the gift. Okay, He believed that the gift had reestablished itself because Christ was coming soon. Therefore, tongues was returned. It was called it was the end of the age. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Okay, He was kicked out of the church because he also thought he was the Holy Spirit. All right. Bye.
Okay. The other person was a guy named Tertullian, and guess who he was a disciple of? The Holy Spirit dude. Okay. Um, you see it in the priestesses of Delphi. They would sit in the oracles and they'd get a buzz on and, and you would give them a question and they'd sit in there and they would jammer at each other and they'd write down something and then somebody would interpret that, that answer and you'd get it back and they'd tell you whether you should marry Bob or shouldn't marry Bob or whatever. But the priestesses of Delphi had an ecstatic babble thing. You see it in some of the sorcerers. You see it in some of the seers, the fortune teller people. You do not see it in the church, not even the Catholic church. There was the seven null priests, um, uh, 1685 in France. Um, they believed that the French dialect came through the gift of tongues. Uh, they were a military unit and uh, basically just drifted into a Oblivion. There was a group called Jansen that called themselves Catholic Reformers. They weren't like of the Reformation that you and I know. They believed that they needed to get back to the sacraments more intensely. In 1731, they held their night meetings in the tombs of their leaders, and they said that they would speak in tongues to the dead leaders. In 1736 to 1784, there was a group in Troy, New York called the Shakers. Um, make great furniture. Okay, if you ever can get your hand on Shaker furniture, it is literally bomb-proof. Uh, the way they build it is, is amazing. But the Shakers were founded by Mother Ann Lee. Should give you... An idea right there. But Mother Ann Lee believed that she was the female equal of Jesus. Okay? God in the male body was Jesus. God in the female body was her. She received direct revelation. She believed that sex was corrupt even in marriage. And it was something to be uh, beaten back this temptation and how she did it was that she would have men and women dance naked and once they had victory they'd begin speaking in tongues go back to building furniture <laughs> stick with the furniture okay um, the Irvingites 1830 in London uh, was founded by Edward Irving uh, most of his revelation contradicted scripture and all of his healings were followed by death. <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is from 58 AD to 1901, no church had tongues. Okay? Then what happened? They call it Bethel Bible College, Topeka, Kansas. Agnes Osman. That is the first time since 58 AD that you see it in the um, church. And Agnes Osman basically called it part of the holiness movement of the Church of America. Okay? Um, that filtered in by 1906 to Uzza Street, California. 
and that is where the birth of what you know as the Pentecostal church came from. Okay? And that denomination came out of that, and they believed, and it was founded by Agnes Osman. Uh, then by 1960, in Van Nuys, California, you have the birth of what is today I call, well, the, uh, historians would call the modern charismatic movement. Uh, I call it the experiential movement. And all the birth and manifestations, whether it's Assembly of God, whether it's uh, whatever, the vineyard, uh, uh, a lot of independence. Okay? But <clears throat> the modern charismatic movements out of Van Nuys in the 1960s actually started as the, the movement that moved tongues outside of the mainline Pentecostal denomination. Up until that time, uh, it was in just the Pentecostal church. Okay? And I can see that you're all just thrilled to death that I shared with you all of that. Let me share with you about tongues. It is not something that has gone throughout the history of the church. For all intents and purposes, it ceased in 58, um, 70, if you want to be technical about it. And we do not see it again inside of the church until 1901. Okay. Paul, right here, said it would cease. The Holy Spirit, right here, said it would cease. Sure seems like it did. Um, and I have absolutely no reason whatsoever to believe that it has come back. Okay? But 12.1 says, I do not want you to be unaware of spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. And chapter 13 says, I need to love in the confines of of truth. All right? Know this. I just gave you six reasons that I believe that the gift has ceased. Okay? And I mean, you can sit and say, well, I, that's fine. I know some Orthodox people who claim to have spoken tongues and have done it occasionally. Fine. I mean, if God goes off and starts jabbering in some kind of thing, you're not going to, he ain't doing that. I mean, if a guy tells me he's seen a pink elephant, I'm okay. I'm happy for you. Um, you know, I've seen some things before I got saved too. <laughs> I remember Pink Floyd at Three River Stadium. I don't know what that was, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't there. <laughs> I know he's omnipresent, but I think he was moving out of Pittsburgh. Um, <laughs> well, I would have. Oh, boy, you guys are out of here. I don't want you to be ignorant about it. But i got to ask you a simple question. The Apostle Paul is very clear what the gift is for. And I have to ask you this simple question. Do we need that gift? Judgment against Israel? I, I don't need it. And one of the things that I see in the church today that people are using this gift, nobody's interpreting. And, and I'm going to close with a little story. A friend of mine, he's an E-free church, mainline evangelical. And it's a pretty good-sized church. I'll, I'll close with this. It's Thanksgiving. I'm allowed to. Um, 
<clears throat> pretty good sized church. Actually, it's a very big church, about 1,100 people at seats. And the uh, um, guy's solid, rock solid expositor of the Word of God. So he proceeds to get ready to start preaching a message, and a very uh, well dressed, professional looking woman stands up and begins speaking in tongues in the middle of the church. And the whole church is aghast. And I mean, she's very vocal, she's very loud in doing whatever it was she was saying. And <laughs> she just goes off and takes probably 10 or 15 minutes. Just going. And everybody kept thinking, why isn't the pastor shutting this woman down? I, you know, tell her, you know, why aren't we escorting her out or something? Okay. She stopped. He opened up his Bible. God has given me the interpretation. This woman would like to donate $5,000 to the building fund. So if any of you are feeling led by the Spirit, <laughs> please know, I feel blessed with the interpretation. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. And Lord, uh, you have given us the gift of knowledge and discernment. And Father, you have equipped your people for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You are building your church. You are strengthening your church. And I praise you for that. Father, you overwhelm us with your presence. You overwhelm us with your word. You overwhelm us with your spirit. And Father, you are doing exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever think or imagine. And Father, guard us. Father, help us to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Father, help us be people who love. Help us to be known by our love for one another. Help us to understand what you're about. Let us be sensitive when to speak. Let us be sensitive when not to speak. Father, let our words be seasoned with salt to preserve, to encourage. And Father, may we walk in a manner that brings glory and honor unto you and you alone. When we praise you, and we thank you. Father, in this season of thanksgiving, how can we who are called by your name not be completely overwhelmed by what you have already given to your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen.